Friend Church. And welcome to our neighbors. Glad to be here together with you today. I don't see a clicker up here. Is that it? Up on the on the thing? Max, if you give me our title slide, there we are. Hey, I am glad to be together with you this morning. And we are continuing our series that we've called How Long. Um, it's been a theme that we've been exploring together. Um, and Sometimes, whether you have a faith background or whether you're really skeptical about the whole God question, sometimes we come to points in our lives where we really wonder um, if God is actually in control and he actually cares about what's going on, why does it seem like everything's in chaos? If, uh, if God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, why then is my world on fire and is it ever going to be put out? And we come to this place in our heart and our souls where we cry out, how long, oh Lord? Like, if you're going to deal with all of this, how long is it going to take you um, to do it? And we started our series with reading together Psalm 13, and we discovered that this is not a new refrain. This is not a new question for us, that even the ancients had the same question for God. God, how long is it going to take you to do what I know is consistent with your character and what is right and what's best for the world? How long is it going to take you to do that? Even even the psalmists wrote down these questions and wrestled with these questions. And as we've explored this topic, we've seen that even the angels have the same question for God. They look at what God is doing in the world and they go, look, like, I trust you. I've seen you in, in your glory and your majesty and I trust that you've got it all figured out, but like, how long? How long is it going to take you to deal with these people? How long is it going to take you to fix everything that's broken? How long is everything going to feel like it's all out of your control? Um, and that's really the question that we've been wrestling with together over the last couple of weeks. And my goal, as we laid out this series originally, my goal was for this, uh, this morning us to look at Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12. If you want to turn there or navigate there, it's on page 939 in the Blue Bibles here. Um, my goal was to go through these three chapters together this morning. Um, and I realized uh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I shoot for, this might be a surprise to you, I shoot for about 30 minutes of speaking, and I never do a great job. Um, usually get closer to 40. Um, but when I, when I started to digest some of the things and looking at the different areas that we had to cover, I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to fit all of these three chapters in together. Um, but the reason I wanted to do them together is because they all are describing the same event. So these three chapters all go together, and they all are describing the same event, but we're going to break it up a little bit to make it a little bit more digestible because there are some things that happen in this chapter that are just beyond the realm of um, what we might call normal. Um, there are things that are just beyond the realm of our perception, and I wanted to make sure that, I didn't, that we didn't overlook them because I think that there are some important principles for us to take away um, to take away from. If, you're a, uh, if your faith, your walk with Jesus has you in church or exposed to church primarily around Christmas time and Easter time, then you might have a perception that angels are actually like really, really involved in the day-to-day -day life of, of God's people. Um, that, that they show up all the time, that they give, they give revelation, they give instructions and things like that. Because uh, in the, those two times of the year where we're talking about the story of Christmas and the story of Easter, Angels are there and they're present, um, but they actually don't get a ton of screen time in the narrative of the whole book. 
the information that we have about angels and how they work and what's going on behind the scenes, like we actually don't get a ton of information. But in chapter 10 of Daniel, we get a peek behind the curtain. Um, it's kind of like the fourth wall of reality gets broken. We, we are, we're going through and we're living our lives and everything seems to be how it is as if we were in a movie and then a character turns to the camera and starts talking at the camera to the people that are watching the movie um, and you suddenly see all the boom microphones and all of the other camera shots that are, that are in the background. You see behind the scenes and you go, wait, what is happening here? Who are those people? What are they doing? And then it cuts right back into the story. So Daniel 10 is, is fascinating, and, and my suspicion is, if you're like me, you'll walk away from this chapter with more questions than answers, but I think it'll be helpful for us to spend some time exploring it together, particularly as we wrestle with the question of, how long? <laughs> what, what is God doing in the world, and how long until he makes it all right? So um, we're going to do some heavy lifting today. I'm excited about it, and I trust that you guys are going to be able to, to hang, uh, hang together through this text. So as we begin, we're going to need God's help with this. Um, and so I'd invite you to pray together with me. It's our habit to pray together the disciples' prayer, which isn't a magic spell or anything like that, but it is the model of prayer that Jesus left for those that are going to follow after him, and the attitudes contained within ought to share, shape how we talk to God. So as we pray together, it's easiest for us to use the same words because we're praying together as a group. So that's why it's on the screen, um, and I'd invite you to pray together with me either in your hearts or you can pray out loud if you'd like to, but would you, would you at the very least... Bow your hearts together with me, and let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Daniel chapter 10, and I'd like to begin by reading verses 1 through 3 just to get a picture of where we are in the text. Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, page 939 in these blue Bibles. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself with oil at all for the full three weeks. I'll pause there. So we're opening up. We're, we're getting back into the life of Daniel. We've covered um, the biography of Daniel in our series that we called Faith Under Fire. We looked at how his, uh, he grew up in, in a nation that was set apart, that was special to God, but that chose not to follow Yahweh, the God who had rescued them. And so God kind of put them in time out. He let them be taken over. Um, and so for, what that meant for Daniel was, as a young man, his city was besieged. They, put, they set up siege works all around it. And an invading army came in and took his family, split his family apart, and sent him far, far away into a foreign land called Babylon to be re-educated. 
They said, you grew up worshiping Yahweh, but Yahweh obviously is a weakling because our gods let us capture your city. So now you're going to come and learn how our God does things. We're not going to call you Daniel anymore because that is a name that gives honor to Yahweh. It gives an honor to your God. And we're going to call you Belteshazzar. That's what we have here again in, in chapter 10. He says his name was Belteshazzar. It's a reminder of all that has gone before in Daniel's life. And Daniel was faithful to Yahweh, even in a hostile situation. Um, and he, he spent a lot of time and was gifted to interpret dreams and visions that other people had. And then we've seen in this series, as we've journeyed together through how long, we've seen that he also becomes the dreamer, that God begins to give him visions and begins to give him things. But we've noticed, as we've looked at these several visions that we've looked at, that often his conclusion is, one, he's very sick, Two, he's very upset. And three, he doesn't understand. He's like, okay, I get that there are some things going on, there are some things going to happen, but I'm not really sure how it all fits together. And here in chapter 10, it opens up that in the third year of King Cyrus, he has a vision and he understands it. And as he comes to understand it, his response is mourning, fasting, weeping. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. So, so they live in a desert climate, and to survive in a desert climate, um, something that you need, and maybe we don't think about it a ton because of the humidity that we enjoy here in Florida all year round, um, but in a desert climate, the thing that you need to survive is lotion. Your skin gets dry and cracked and begins to break apart because the winds are so um, hot. And the, and the winds are so dry, and so they would regularly uh, anoint themselves, is the word he uses, they would put lotion on and make sure that uh, they, they'd, they'd put it all over their skin, and like that was their regular bathing ritual. You, you, your bathing was taking the old lotion off and putting new lotion on, right? So he says, look, I'm not taking a shower. I'm weeping, I'm mourning, I'm lamenting, I'm praying, I'm fasting because I finally have understood something that God's revealed to me and it was a great conflict. Um, why? Like why? What was going on? Well, there, there, there is a, a, a note that if, if we're familiar with some of the history in the background, it makes a little bit more sense. This opens in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And what we know about Cyrus is Cyrus was the king who began to let God's people, the Israelites, move back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild it. And so about two years before this um, vision comes to Daniel... Um, uh, the first group of, of his people had gone back home. They'd moved back home. But Daniel doesn't go with them. One, he's got a job. He's, 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 a, he's in a royal place. Like he's, he's an advisor to the kings, and he's survived a number of, of hostile turnovers, so he's got a, a place. But also, he's an old man. He's older than 80 years old, which is ancient in ancient terms. Like people didn't live that long. So he's blessed with a long life, but he's also cursed with a long life because he gets taken away from his home, lives his whole life in a foreign land, gets to watch his people begin to return and begin to rebuild the city that was destroyed when he was a boy. Like that would be a cause for celebration. But that was two years ago. And if we know the story, those people went home and they begin to lay the foundations. They set up the altar um, they set up the altar at the temple so that they could offer burnt sacrifices, but then they stopped. They had started what God had sent them to do, but they didn't finish it. 
And God's people just got distracted by building their own houses. They were so, so uh, in, in, in focused in on building their own houses and making sure they had a place to stay that they didn't build God's house. They didn't do what God had sent them home to do, to begin to set things on a right path. But I thought, like, we, we just saw last week, it's, it's, for him it was some time, but for us, just last week, he had begun to pray. He'd begun to lament. He had confessed the sin of his people. Daniel had gone to the Lord, gone to Yahweh on their behalf and said, look, my people have sinned. Would you restore us? And Yahweh says, yes, you can go. And I thought that that was supposed to crystallize his hope. And yet, he sees God's people not following God's way and, go, and, and it breaks his heart. He weeps and laments and mourns for three weeks. We lament evil's devastation while we live in light of God's assured victory. We grieve over evil as a healthy expression of our faith in the Most High God. But I wonder, do we seek God when we see that his people are failing? Do we seek God when we see that his people are failing? Daniel's looking at a group of people that, that left with, with a divine mandate. They left with a mission that they were going to rebuild the temple and restore the rightful worship of Yahweh in its rightful place. And he looks at how they've dropped the ball. He looks at how they failed. He looks at how they'd rather build a comfortable life for themselves and they would follow the one true God that rescued them and their fathers and their forefathers. And he says, God, I need you. Oftentimes, our response to when God's people are failing is to get mad at God, to blame God, and to turn away from God. All too often, I hear people who've been hurt in churches say, God must not be real because God's people are wicked, or God's people are hip hypocritical, or God's people have done a wrong thing, or I disagreed with the way that God's people chose the color of the carpet. Whatever it is, do we seek God when God's people are failing? Or do we allow that failure to turn us away from him? Daniel's an example of somebody who sees God's people failing and he turns to God and, and seeks God. And boy, God shows up. Let's read the next couple of verses. I'm going to start in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of Vufaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face was the, like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and the sound of his and I, then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So he's been praying and fasting for weeks. And he's out by the river. He's got some guys that are praying with him. And this guy shows up. This, this being shows up. And Daniel can see him. And Daniel can hear the sound of his voice. But the people that are with him just suddenly are, are terrified and they run to hide. 
So now he is left alone on the banks of this river with this guy who is jacked. <laughs> Says his face is like lightning, his eyes are like torches, his body is like barrel, he's, he's cut like marble, chiseled, strong, mighty, pure, excellent, clothed in gold and linen. These are priestly, uh, these would identify for him a priestly, um, a priestly servant to be dressed in linen, but he's not just a priestly servant, not just a, a preacher with a, with, a, with a belly who's hollering. Like, this is a guy who's cut, who's mighty, who's strong, who obviously has the power of force to fight battles. And Daniel falls down. He can't stand in his presence. Maybe he's weakened over all of his fasting and all of his praying, all of his tears that he's spent over the last couple of weeks, but certainly at the, at the sight of this angelic, this heavenly being, he falls down and can't get up. Left alone, his friends have failed him. Who is it? I don't know. <laughs> There's actually some debate about who this is and how you approach this, how you approach this comes with how you interact with um, some other texts and your familiarity with other texts and also how you interact with what it is that this heavenly being says. So let's see what he says in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel... Greatly, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So Daniel um, is, is praying. He meets this guy. This guy shows up. He falls down. Somebody picks him up. <laughs> Somebody picks him up from the ground and puts him on his hands and his knees. And then this being speaks to Daniel and gives him enough strength to be able to stand. And what is it that gives Daniel the strength to stand? What is the address? How does this being address Daniel? Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he'd spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Daniel stands as one loved. And knowing that he is loved, he hears that God care, hears his prayers, God cares about his prayers, and that God is sending strength in response to his prayers. God heard you the first day that you knelt down to pray. And yet, I'm only getting to you now. And this is where we get, uh, we get a peek behind the curtain. We get a, a breakthrough to see that there are things going on that are kind of outside of what we would consider normal. There's things going on that uh, maybe we don't really consider. 
this, this heavenly being says, um, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there alone with the kings of Persia. So this heavenly being begins to describe a situation um, where he's using the title princes and kings, and these princes and kings seem to be tied to nations. Um, other, other places in the book of Daniel, princes are what we, is what referred to as angels. And Michael is an angel that we're familiar with. So when he says the prince of Persia, he's not talking about a video game or like some guy with a really wicked, awesome sword. Um, he's, he's talking about the prince of Persia is an angel who has charge over the, the dealings of what happens in the nation of Persia. These angelic beings seem to be related to nation states in some way. All right, remember, I told you, you're going to have more questions than answers. And I also have more questions than I have answers. I'm just showing you what I see. Like, we're getting a glimpse behind the curtain, and I'm going, whoa, look at that, look at that, look at that. What does it mean? I'm not sure how to put all this together necessarily, but I want you to see it, because it might interact, or it might change how we interact with the news. There's a spiritual battle that's going on here. Daniel is praying and lamenting and weeping, and and he's praying and lamenting because he's seeing a failure in God's people, and God is trying to send a response. He's trying to send encouragement. He's trying to send um, some kind of strength, and yet that strength is prevented from getting to Daniel in a timely manner because there are spiritual forces tied to nation states, and something is happening. We read together in Genesis 28 this morning of, of a man named Jacob. Um, and if, if you don't know Jacob's story, it's kind of fascinating. Jacob was the younger of two brothers. And his dad was Isaac. He had a promise from God that God was going to use him to bless the whole world. That, uh, you probably know Isaac's dad. Isaac's dad's name was Abraham. Well, Jacob was the younger brother, and he really wanted, he felt like he was entitled to, for a number of reasons, um, the blessing that was going to go to his older brother. And so Jacob took matters into his own hands. He tricked his older brother and stole the birthright. He stole the blessing um, from his older brother. And then uh, his older brother was actually a pretty strong guy. He was a hunter-gatherer, whereas Jacob was kind of a farmer. Um, like, like, so he, 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 he ate vegetables and his brother ate meat type deal. And so uh, after Jacob steals his birthright and after Jacob steals the blessing and tricks his father into giving him the blessing, uh, Jacob has to run for his life. So he's on the run from a guy who wants to kill him. His own brother wants to kill him. And as he's going, he, he arrives in this spot um, that the verse, those verses we read together opened up talking about how Daniel's leaving and how he's traveling. And as he's traveling, he falls asleep. He puts his head on a rock and he falls asleep. And he sees that there's a connection between what's happening on earth and what's happening in heaven. There's a ladder and there's angels going up and down and and. and What exactly he perceived is going on, I'm not sure, but for the first time in his life, this self-centered, stuck-up little brat realized that his life choices are impacted in spiritual matters. He saw that everything that he perceived was not everything that there was. That the world around him was not just, how can I look out for number one and make sure I get mine? But it was, there are things going on that I have not seen before. And he understands that what is physical is not all that there is. That there are forces that shape his world that are outside of his understanding. And from that moment, he says, whoa, like, God is in this place. This, well, I'm going to call this place Bethel, which just means God's house. 
I'm gonna call this place God's house because God did something here. And that's the start of Jacob's walk with Yahweh. He had known about him before, but then he starts walking with him here. We cannot perceive every force that shapes our world. When we look at the news and we wonder at the chaos and we wonder at why does it seem like everything's on fire, just know that there are things going on that you cannot calculate. Policy, uh, policy familiarity or a, a strong understanding of, of how history impacts things, like that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we get everything that's happening, that there are forces happening and shaping the world that are outside of our perception. Here, this heavenly being says, I was opposed by the prince of Persia, and, and Michael came and he helped me, and now I could get to you. We don't know the name of the prince of Persia, but we know Michael, and uh, Michael is the prince of Israel, the guardian angel that watches over God's special people. So let me just say this explicitly because I think it needs to be said. Um, when we talk about angels, there's, there's a folklore there's an idea culturally that we have of what angels are like. Um, usually when people come across angels, they actually fall down like they're dead. Um, and they're, they're really scared by them. Often the first things an angel says to a human is, hey, don't be afraid. So your, your picture of like pleasant little cherubs with cute butts hanging out, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you see on your grandma's mantelpiece, like that's probably not it. Um, but this idea of guardian angels is a thing, but you likely don't have one. Your guardian, a guardian angel wouldn't be somebody that follows you around and tells you exactly what to do. Your guardian angel would actually be entrusted with the, the course of history for your nation and the people that you're a part of. Guardian angels are, are more, seem to be tied to nation states and na national powers as opposed to being tied to our, our, our personal lives. Um, that's just an observation, and it's different from how you probably have picked up in the culture, so I want to be clear about what that is. But who is this heavenly being that we're talking about? Who is this heavenly being that's revealing these things to Daniel? Some will say, well, he wasn't strong enough by himself to overcome the prince of Persia. He needed Michael's help in order to do that. So this must be a higher angel that we don't know the name of. However, this description of who this guy is really, really closely matches a description of somebody who we do have identified in the first chapters of Revelation. First chapters of Revelation give almost an identical description of a heavenly being that shows up and stands there, and his name there is Jesus. Likewise, he never says, I was not able to overcome the prince of Persia. He just says, I didn't. I fought with him for 20 days, and then Mike came to help me out, and then we overcame him. He doesn't say that the battle was outside of my control. He just says, we were fighting. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people. And maybe there was something that would help Daniel to grow in the way. I'm inclined to think, based upon those couple of things that I've pointed out and based on some words that we're going to talk about in the next sections, that, that what we're talking about is Jesus. And I don't want us to miss what our big idea is for this morning. Um... My clicker's not working. Can you give me the, the big idea slide, please? That Jesus is the greatest force that shapes our world. 
we can't perceive all the forces that shape our world. There are physical forces, there's political forces, there are economic forces, there are historical forces that shape our world. There are also spiritual forces that shape our world that are outside of our perception. But the greatest force that shapes our world is Jesus. I think that's the testimony of Scripture. And in light of all of the the concerns that we might have about all of the things that are going on in the world, about all the things that are shaping our culture, the greatest force that shapes our world is Jesus. Let's continue reading in verse 15. When he had spoken according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. So Daniel sees this guy who shows up, and he falls down on the ground, can't stand. Being touches him, picks him up and puts him on his hands and his knees, and then speaks to him and gives him strength to stand. He stands and he hears, but he cannot yet speak. When he, as he's hearing, he turns his face to the ground, he turns his face away, and he was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. So this being now is touching his lips, he's touching his mouth. There's another place where we see something similar to this. Um, And it almost was our reading for the morning. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have a vision, uh, or Isaiah has a vision of God, Yahweh, seated on his throne. And there are angels flying around. They're they're covering their face. They're covering their feet. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, And Isaiah, when he shows up in the throne room of God, the first thing he says is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I, a righteous prophet who's been serving God for a long time, am not clean enough to speak in this room. Have you ever walked into a room where you just realize, like, I I should not say anything. I just need to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Muteness not being able to speak, muteness is the normal response to being in the presence of Yahweh. Another reason why I think that this heavenly being is Jesus. In Isaiah, Isaiah says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And a a cherub goes to the, to the, the altar of incense and he takes a hot coal and he presses it to his lips, burns his lips, but it purifies his speech so that he's able to speak. And the Lord gives him a commission in that time to go and speak to people that aren't going to hear. It's a really fascinating story. You should probably read it. Um, But we're not going to do that today. In this encounter, as Daniel says, woe is like, woe, I can't speak. How could, I, how, could, how could my Lord's servant speak to you? I have no strength. I'm not, I'm not worthy to speak to you the being himself touches his lips and purifies his mouth so that he can open it. It's not a coal taken from the altar of incense. It's his own body. 
and purifies him so that he might be able to speak. What is our attitude when we approach Yahweh, when we approach God? What's our attitude? Do we feel like we're entitled to just walk into the throne room and like kick our, our feet up on the, on the, the arms of the throne and be like, hey, what's going on? Are we going to casually uh, offer some jokes about, I don't know, I don't know what you joke about with God. What's our attitude when we approach God? When people actually find, like, the, of the accounts that we have, when people find themselves face-to-face with God, they're mute, they're struck down, they act like they're dead. They have no strength to stand. And yet we in our mind, isolated as we are from the spiritual realm that is shaping our world, we sometimes think, like, that doesn't, like, that doesn't, that's not super important. Like, it's not, it's kind of an optional add-on to my life. Like, of all the accessories that I could have to my life, like, religion is one of them, and honor and respect for God is, an, is, is just an add-on. Like, I don't necessarily need that. What is our attitude as we approach Yahweh? Something to consider, particularly as Jesus is the greatest force that shapes our world. Daniel has stand, stood as one loved. He is speaking now as one who is cleansed. And now he'll be strengthened as one delivered. Let's look at this last paragraph. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man, greatly loved Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So, the angel says, I've got a vision for you. I'm going to tell it to you. And together, if the Lord permits, we will talk about the vision next week. (laughs) But there's a couple of takeaways that I think we should take from this chapter in particular. Um, One is that the opposition is real. The, like, the angel is uh, this heavenly being. Jesus has fought in order to be able to stand and deliver this message to Daniel, and now he's going to go back to the battle. It's not over. The opposition is real. It's continuing on. And notice that only Michael stands with him in the fight. Only the angel of Israel is in the fight. What's happening in Israel right now? Are God's people doing the right thing? God's people have kind of like taken hands off, like we don't need to work for God, we're just going to work for ourselves, we want to make our lives comfortable. And yet, their angel is the only one contending with Jesus in this battle that's going on in the world. We cannot perceive every force that's shaping our world. And Jesus is the greatest force that shapes our world. I, I, I struggled. Um, I struggled with how to word this big idea this week because there are a couple of things that I that I wanted to put together, and I didn't want to make it too wordy. So when I say greatest, I mean something very particular. Greatest in the sense of mightiest, for sure. Like there's no room for doubt 
if this is a picture of Jesus, that Jesus is strong enough to handle anything that's going to be going on in the world. Like, he is mighty. He is ripped. Like, we kind of picture him as this nice shepherd guy that's got a lamb slung over his shoulder. And he does that too. Um, but by and large, like, he's mighty. He's a warrior. He goes and contends against the princes of Persia. He goes and it contends against every other nation in the world. All the other angels are fighting against him. It's just him and Michael against the whole world, and he's fighting. And he steps in to Daniel's life and says, hey, I need to tell you what's going on here. I'm going to tell you what's happening in my book. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. I'm going to tell you what's happening in my book. Then I'm going to go back to battle. So he's like, he shows up. He's not even out of breath. Hey, I need to tell you what's going on here. I've got a message for you. I'm going to go back. So he steps out of a raging battle, gives a message, goes back into the raging battle, doesn't stop for breath, doesn't get some Gatorade on his way back. Like, he just is strong. So Jesus is the greatest force in that he is the mightiest force that shapes our earth. But he's great also in the sense of his compassion is great. How does he address Daniel? O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. In, in the face of this might, in the face of this majesty, Jesus comes to a humble-hearted servant and said, You're loved. I love you. I'm here to strengthen you. I see that this is breaking your heart. I see that you don't know what to do next. I see that you're broken because you're not going to be able to go home. I see that you're broken because the people who went home aren't doing the right thing. I can see that you're broken because you're an old man and you have arthritis and life is hard and sometimes it's just hard to get out of bed. Daniel, I see you and you are loved. But don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Be at peace. Be strong and be of good courage. What's our attitude in approaching to Yahweh and approaching Yahweh, I think, is an appropriate question. I think is one that needs to be asked, particularly in the way that um, a force of cultural Christianity wants us to interact with God. What is our approach to approaching Yahweh? What is our attitude when we approach Yahweh? But and another similarly and very appropriate question to ask is, what is Yahweh's attitude in approaching us? What is Yahweh's attitude in approaching us? Yes, great, mighty, majestic, all-powerful. Remember, fire coming out from his throne, consuming, killing beasts as they come up, cutting off their heads and burning them and making sure that everything, all of the pieces on the board are going exactly where he wants it to go. Mighty, powerful, strength, and compassionate. Shepherding. Caring. What is Yahweh's attitude in approaching us? O oh, man greatly loved, I came, I left as soon as you kneeled. Let me tell you what's in my book. We look at history. Um, it's, it's easier to read history than it is to predict it, right? God reads the future the way that we read history. He says, Daniel, I got this stuff written down. Like, let me tell you about it. And actually, the next, the reasons why we're going to take so we're going to take a, another week to go through this is because there's a lot of details. The most details of any prophecy ever is in or a biblical prophecy is in chapters 11 and 12. Like, there's a lot of details. God, God has planned it out. He knows what's going to happen. He's not surprised by any of it. God writes the future like we would write history. And he's got it. 
And his attitude in approaching us is one of gentleness if we were approaching him in humility. Church, be encouraged. Be strengthened. Walk in peace. Do not be afraid because Jesus is the greatest force that shapes our world. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we're reminded that on our own account, we have no right to stand before you, no right to speak your name, and yet you have loved us enough to tell us what it is, to show us how we've erred, and you are patient enough to walk with us as we begin to learn your ways. And we're not worthy. God, we confess. We're so easily distracted. We're so easily satisfied by, by, by fleeting um, pleasures. And most days we'd be, we'd be content if you'd just satisfy our, 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 our sexual pleasures or, or our, our, our food pleasures. God, we'd just be satisfied if you would make our life more comfortable. And yet, you love us enough to show us the vanity of it. God, we don't pretend to understand everything that's going on in the world. But we want to live as the people who have the faith and the confidence that you are the greatest force that's shaping our world. Not just that you had the power and the authority to speak creation into existence, but that every nation, every election is in your hands and that you are the one steering it all that you have written it as if it were already passed. So Lord, would you equip us to do our part? God, if you've written down good works for us to do, would you give us the faith? Would you give us the boldness? Would you give us the, the skill to be able to do the good work that you've written for us to do as individuals, God, as neighborhood church, as the church in the United States, as the church across the world, God, would you equip us to do your work in the world? Would you help us to see clearly how to take the next step? We need you. And it's in your name that we ask it and for your glory. Amen. We'll take a few minutes and um, reflect on how God's speaking this morning. If there's something you need to, to write down or something you need to send to somebody, then please, please do that. But we'll take a few minutes in, in, in prayer and quiet and before we close together and sing it.